Welcome to church this morning. It's so good to have you with us. We're in our series in Ephesians and it's called Walking as One. We started two weeks ago when Tony introduced us to the big picture uh, where Paul is telling us God's story of how he wants us to live as one with each other in perfect peace and in unity. We learned about the dark thread of running through human history that is about human rebellion towards God and we caught insights into God's rescue plan in Jesus. Last week, Wayne helped us gain um, insight into what it's like to walk as one in the context of the church. He explained that God has broken down every barrier that prevents us from being restored to unity with him and with each other. He talked about the fact that um, uh, we could gain insights through thinking about this book of Ephesians through the idea of the head, the heart and the hands. And we saw how spiritual gifts are given for the building up of the body of the church. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about the particular focus of walking together in partnership as one in partnership, both as a congregation, as a church, and also with a particular emphasis on the special relationship of marriage. I love restoration shows. In fact, I suspect that there are a few others out there who love restoration shows as well. My kids think I'm a little bit addicted to them, quite frankly. I love watching this on television because the idea of restoration implies that once there was something really amazing, really good, and over time through um, wear and tear and also through misuse, it deteriorated. And ultimately, it was heading in a direction where it was no longer fit for purpose. And if something didn't happen, it was going to disintegrate entirely. And into that situation steps somebody with real creative ability that sees the potential of something that's broken and run down being restored to new life, made fit for purpose again in the future. In about 1921, a family decided to build a home on a wide street. It had a main bedroom and three um, other bedrooms, a kitchen area and laundry and so on. It wasn't really very impressive as a home, but at the time, they would have thought it was perfect, just meeting their needs. Interestingly, it had a really large entry foyer and a really large front hall. Very odd for such a small weatherboard home. Now, every restoration show has different stages through the process. And no doubt, when the family first built this um, property, they thought that it was perfect, just the way they wanted it. I've learned that as you go through a process of restoration, there are different stages that you have to undertake. And I've learned that things that are helpful early on in restoration aren't always helpful later. These rules and tools that are useful in the early stages of restoration simply don't work later on in the later stages of restoration. When you're doing restoration projects, it's really important to understand what stage you're at and be able to apply the right tools 
and the right guidelines or rules to each of those stages. And it's important to understand what your long-term objective is so that you're moving in the right direction the whole time. Sometimes it looks like things are never going to work, but then eventually completion comes and the um, project that you're working on is fully restored to the way you intended it. Now, God's story in the Bible is very much like a restoration show in certain respects. This idea of oneness, working together, being in perfect unity and harmony with each other, was the way God started with all of creation. He designed the creation to be a perfect location, a perfect place of unity, where his creation would work in such a way that the pinnacle of his creation, that is humans, men and women, would have the most perfect environment to be in perfect unity with each other and in perfect unity with him. But unfortunately, deterioration occurred. This dark thread that runs through human history interfered and there was a important, dramatic, but temporary interruption to the process. We call that the fall. This is when humans decided to go their own way, to follow their own opinions and to do things um, that they wanted to do to rebel against God's guidelines and God's plans. Now, the consequence of this caused terrible effects that have reverberated down through history, expressed in human culture, human behaviour, and um, human relationships, which have all suffered and been damaged as a consequence of this thread of rebellion that runs through God's story described in the Bible. But then God out of his loving determination not to abandon his humans that he created, intervenes with a major restoration project. We call this idea redemption when we're talking about it in the Bible context. And there are interestingly a couple of phases in the redemption story or the restoration story of God and his people. First of all, there's phase one. This is dealing with the intensely personal nature of sin and rebellion by God calling out a people for himself, Abraham and Abraham's descendants, and establishing an agreement with them about how they were to rebuild relationship with him and with each other. And it had lots of rules and guidelines. We call that the Old Covenant. And it's largely found and described in the older part of the Bible, the Old Testament. But it's looking forward to phase two, the next bit that's going to come. And uh, phase two is where Jesus enters the scene. And this is about God's rescue plan, the coming of Jesus and the plan to rescue or redeem all humans, not just the descendants of Abraham, but everybody is invited into the rescue plan of God through Jesus. This is called the New Covenant, and it's largely explained in the newer part of the Bible, the New Testament. In this New Covenant, God forms for himself a new people called the Church. 
that includes people from every race, every social background and both genders to be significant in the context of his plan for his church going forward, all working together in perfect unity, harmony and peace in relationship with each other and in relationship with God. The final stage is when Jesus comes again. And this is described as the second coming of Jesus in Christian circles. And while we understand that right now we're still in that phase two, the second phase of the restoration process, and Jesus has not yet come back, the church, we, are a restoration project, still a work in progress, still imperfect, but much improving empowered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, aiming to abandon our sinful ways and by his power at work in us, the power of the Spirit, through grace, forgiveness, faith and love, becoming more and more like the source, the living word, Jesus, day by day. So we're looking forward to that ultimate completion, but we're not yet there. When Jesus comes back, the full restoration will be complete. All of the beauty and perfection of the original community of oneness will be restored. Then it was two humans, Adam and Eve, and their triune God in community at the very beginning of the creation. Now it will be millions of humans when Jesus comes again in unity and with each other and with their God. The Father's love is so profound that he invites everybody into his family, into relationship, and he actually describes men and women as being heirs, co-heirs with Christ his children. Let's have a look at what Paul has to say in this wonderful little book, Ephesians, that we're studying in chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that the gospel, that is the good news about Jesus, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, that's Abraham's children, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And earlier on, before Ephesians, in Galatians, um, Paul's writing to the Galatian church and he describes it like this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Among the many descendants of Abraham, described as as many as stars in the sky, the reason I've summarised this sort of history of the Bible 
described in this particular way is that it helps us to understand this little book of Ephesians as we look at it. Because you see, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, but he has this kind of global understanding of the plan of God, where God is heading, the different stages of the progression, and where the church is right now that he's writing to. And he's helping the Ephesians to understand this and to be able to make some major changes in the way they live in view of what he's teaching them. It's important to understand that when we read scripture, it's not only necessary to understand it in the context of the culture in which it was written, but also in the stage of this progression through the restoration process of God that I've just described. Because the tools and the rules that apply at one stage of the progression don't necessarily apply to the next stage, even though they might be incredibly important in setting up the next stage, getting ready for the next stage. Just in the same way that when you're doing a restoration project, you're not going to be using your sledgehammer to help tap that little bathroom tile into place. You're going to be approaching it with a much um, more careful and more appropriate tool to do that particular task. So let's dive in and look at a particular passage in Ephesians that I've been asked to talk about today. Um, which re refers to how Christians should live in the context of the Christian community. And in particular, Paul uses the relationship of marriage to describe how this should work. What does walking with one, um, as one with our God and our marriage partner look like in the context of this new community that's under restoration being made like Jesus? part of God's plan to restore all things to unity with himself in the final conclusion of the restoration project. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read a fairly long passage together here um, from chapter 5, verses 15 all the way through to 32. So I'll read it and um, you can follow along. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, 
people have never hated their own bodies, but they feed and care for them, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This value of mutual submission is the profound point that I want to communicate today because Paul is trying to get across that there's a new way of living. He's establishing this as the value for Christian community going forward. Now remember, back in Galatians, Paul described that there was no longer any Jew or Gentile, that there was no longer any slave or free, and that there was no longer any male or female from God's perspective. Everybody was invited into this relationship where the idea of mutual submission would lead to unity amongst people and unity in relationship uh, with God. In phase one of this restoration project, the culture that was generally prevalent was that men treated women as possessions and property to control. Paul is calling on people in phase two of the restoration project, this new community. He's calling on men to treat women as equals under God as described in Galatians, not property. Remember, women and men have been invited into this relationship with God. People from all races have been invited into this relationship with God. And people from all social standings have been invited into this relationship with God. In phase one of the restoration process, the general culture prevailing at the time was that women were subservient, uneducated and ruled over by men. But in stage two, Paul's calling for a higher way. He's calling for mutual submission. In this stage of the restoration project, women are restored to equal status under God. The pinnacle of God's creation when he said, this is good. This is a description of the freedom, new freedom found for women in the context of this new community that Paul is describing. Now, bear in mind, he's working hard here to help people to shift from their old cultural ways to this new understanding of what the Christian community should look like going forward. He's establishing this church that eventually will become the bride of Christ when um, the Lord returns again. So he's trying to help and he gives some pretty practical guidelines and some help as he talks about the marriage relationship. And this helps us to understand some of the cultural context into which he was speaking. Most of what comes next is actually addressing men. But there are some important points here for women as well. And he's emphasising the fact that the value of mutual submission applies to both. So he gives some warnings. Husbands, 
must stop treating wives as possessions, but they must love their wives with a self-sacrificing love. Also, he's speaking to wives and he's saying, wives, don't let your newfound freedoms that we've been talking about in the new community lead to disrespect. Have you ever noticed that when a people have been oppressed over a period of time anywhere in the world and they gain their freedom, what tends to happen is celebration about the freedom, but not long after the celebration, it leads to a reaction against the former oppressors. And often that reaction can become violent and at the very least disrespectful. This is human nature at work. This is the um, fallen human nature of people at work. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Don't let newfound freedoms lead to disrespect. Mutual submission is still the underlying value that applies even in the context of the new freedoms that you're experiencing in the new community of Christ. Changing behaviour is extremely hard work and Paul understands this because it, in this particular context and in our context today, it's counter to the prevailing culture. So how do we do it? How do we change in the face of generational um, influences? The recipe is found in the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church, which is described very clearly in this passage. The Holy One, the Word of God, out of love, gave up everything, submitted himself to humanness, lived a perfect human life, died in an act of self-sacrifice for the sins of the entire world, your sins and my sins. And he rose again, triumphant over death. And through faith, we acquire this righteousness of Christ that restores our relationship with the Father. Jesus became the origin, the source, the headwaters of his bride, the church. This was an epic and total act of submission. The only appropriate response for humans is a total act of submission out of love and respect in return. And this is the model for mutual submission that Paul is calling us to. This is the higher way of living, to rise above our weakness, to rise above our failures and sin and enter the delight, the absolute delight of oneness in community and marriage and in the Father's family through submission. This idea is completely radical completely counter to prevailing culture and to the generational ideas passed down over centuries. Today, I don't have enough time to address all the questions raised by this particular passage in Ephesians. It's been misunderstood and taken out of context so often. But a few quick comments may help you to see the grand vision of mutual submission empowered by the Holy Spirit and delivered out of love. The heading in the NIV is not well placed 
when it separates verse 21 from the preceding verses. It loses the impact of the fact that the preceding verses before verse 21 are talking about the power of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. This verse 21 about mutual submission applies to the context of the Holy Spirit's work in people, in the church. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers followers of Jesus to break old behaviours, avoid traps as they seek to live out marriages in mutual submission, and more generally live out their relationships in the context of the church. The word head, which is referred to uh, quite clearly in verse 23, when translated into English, gives much too heavy weight to the ideas of leadership, being in charge and being in control. In fact, a deeper examination of this Greek word in this context points to ideas like the origin, the source or the headwaters. This in, uh, interpretation is supported by the fact that throughout this section, talking about the relationship between um, husbands and wives, there is no reference at all to the issue of obedience by wives or of wives being under the rule of husbands. Both Christian husbands and wives are called equally to the task of mutual submission. Now this is in stark contrast to the very next section which talks about the relationship between children and parents and emphasises the importance of obedience in this situation because here families are working with people who are not independent adults, who are dependent individuals and need to work in a context where there's obedience forms an important part of their development and progress towards adulthood. The equal status before God of men and women described in Galatians leads us to the conclusion that if there is a difference in roles in terms of leadership or being in charge, it must be on the basis of spiritual gifts and calling described in various places by Paul, not on the basis of gender in the church. Now in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, let me just share this with you and um, uh, make the point that um, this was shared um, by Wayne last week as well. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is why at Door of Hope, women and men of spiritual depth, character and calling, filled by the Holy Spirit, serve in love and mutual submission across all roles in our church. These elders, ministers, pastors, chaplains, ministry assistants, key volunteers and volunteers are trying to lead by example with the love and mutual submission described as right for the community of the church. As it works out God's purposes 
and anticipates the final conclusion when everything will be made perfect by the second coming of Jesus. We are not perfect yet. We are definitely a work in progress. Now, I just want to speak to some specific groups of people today. Singles. While the illustration here uh, that's used by Paul is about marriage, the principle of mutual submission applies profoundly to the relationships that you have within the context of the Christian church. And there's opportunity for enormous fulfilment and joy as you exercise the ministry that God calls you with this attitude of um, mutual submission. I want to speak to men and women from broken marriages and I just want to share a little passage out of Ephesians 3, 16 uh, to 21 um, with you. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all Lord's, the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Men and women from broken marriages, this same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it's described in a different part of Ephesians there, is the same power that is available to you through the Holy Spirit to help you to get over and recover from the disappointment, the broken dreams and the pain of separation and divorce. In the context of the new community, there is help available to you. There is power through the Holy Spirit available to you for healing and restoration. Women and men from marriages that are in trouble this same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. Let me say to you, get help. You need help to work out these complex relationships and difficulties in relationships. Get help. But trust in the power of the Holy Spirit at work. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and it's available to you to help you in your marriage relationship. Women, children, men, in abusive relationships. The value of mutual submission and oneness in partnership is the exact opposite, in fact, the antidote to anger, abuse, violence, disrespect and control. First of all, let me say to you, get out of danger, get help. In another passage in Ephesians, these kinds of things are described as are evil and we're called on to expose those dark acts not to tolerate them it's very important that you get out of danger and that you get help trust in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you our elders our ministers our pastors can support you pray for you guide you we can point you to our counseling service here at door of hope and other professional and expert help. Ask for help.
Now, we've covered a lot of material today. If you're particularly interested to explore this whole thing of the equality of relationship in God's eyes uh, between men and women, the fact that men and women are along with people from all races and along with people from all social standings invited into God, to, uh, into God's family to be co-heirs with Christ, children of the Most High God. If you'd like to explore how this plays out and how the Bible addresses this, I can send you some resources and would be glad to arrange for our staff to do that. So just send us an email and that will provide you with some resources where you can do a real deep dive personal study into this subject matter that we've addressed today. Thanks for listening and bless you. I trust that um, uh, this will help you as we work together to build relationships that are built on the basis of the value of mutual submission. Let me pray for you. Father, I just ask that um, as people think through and pray and express their faith and trust in you from what we've shared today, that your Holy Spirit would be powerfully present. Lord, would you touch each person's life where they need your help, where they need your encouragement, where they need your mighty power. Father, I pray that you would give courage to get help where it's necessary. Father, I pray that you would give wisdom and insight to those that are struggling. And Father, I pray for your rich blessing. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be examples of amazingly uh, wonderful relationships in our church with each other and with you. Lord, bless us and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.